You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I want you to open your Bibles. Wait for it. To the table of contents. Open your Bible to the table. The reason is because you're never going to be able to find the place I'm about to say you need to get to without the table of contents. Let's learn how to use our Bibles. At the front, you've got a table of contents, and you need to find the page number of the book of Zechariah. So find that. For those of you that are cheating and using an electronic device, uh, you could find Zechariah chapter 4. I will meet you there in just a moment. As we've said earlier, we are launching a series on the Holy Spirit entitled Help. I have been wanting to do this series for about three years and waiting on the green light from the Lord to put it in the right spot. So here we are, we're gonna spend the next couple of months searching the scriptures in relation to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now having said that, I want to make you aware that there are two errors, two ditches that churches tend to slide into when you start talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first ditch is this one. We can pay too much attention to the Holy Spirit, and some churches do that. Now, in order to understand the proper attention that we should pay to the Holy Spirit, we need to see what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 14, Jesus said this, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The job description of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The job description of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Jesus. And yet there are a lot of churches and a lot of people that make too much of the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit wanted you to glorify him. The Holy Spirit's whole job is to deflect attention to Jesus. And so we need to be careful about how much attention we pay to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to disclose the glory of Jesus. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness, then you ought to make your life about what the Holy Spirit's life is about, glorify Jesus, because that's what the Holy Spirit is up to right now. Too many churches minimize the authority of the Word of God, the written revelation of the Word of God, in favor of subjective so-called revelations and prophecies above the written revelation of the Word of God. Our church, Harvest Bible Chapel, has chosen to make its number one pillar proclaiming the authority of the Word of God without apology. What that means is we have given the Bible the right to define what we believe about the Holy Spirit and to determine what we see when uh, a claim is made about the Holy Spirit. 
And so we take the word of God as authoritative and we take our experiences as subject to the authority of the word of God. Uh, We're not a charismatic church and we are not an anti-charismatic church. I have friends, charismatic pastors who agree with me that much of what is going on in the name of the Holy Spirit is actually attempts by sincere people to manufacture or counterfeit signs and wonders that we read about in the Bible and a desire to see those things happen in our day and yet sometimes we manipulate and manufacture things that actually aren't generated from the Holy Spirit. And so we can make too much of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say, that is not the ditch that Harvest Bible Chapel is tempted to slide into, okay? As a matter of fact, here's the ditch that we would be tempted to slide into. We can make too little of the Holy Spirit. We can pay too little attention to the Holy Spirit. Churches like Harvest that have a high view of the authority of the written word of God can actually neglect the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are Harvest Bible Chapel. And so every week we open up our Bibles and we want to be taught objectively what is the objective word of God for my life. How can I know the will and the ways of God according to what God has revealed about himself in written scripture. And so this is what is true for all time, for all people in all places. And so we open up our Bibles. But please understand this. We can make so much of the written word of God that we can ignore the spirit of God that activates the word of God in our lives. Please understand this, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Bible are not competitors. They cooperate together. God is using the Holy Spirit who inspired the Holy Bible to reveal himself to us. And so the Holy Spirit and the Holy Bible are not competitors, they're complementary. We need both. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible was authored by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to record the self-disclosure of the nature of God, his will and his ways to us. And so every time I say, open your Bibles, What we're implying is we're opening our ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak through the Holy Bible to us. And so the Holy Spirit is the author of the Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Holy Bible. You can't even understand the Holy Bible without the work of the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. You can't understand the Holy Spirit without the work of the Holy Bible. The only way we even know the Holy Spirit exists is because we've read it in the Holy Bible, right? And so what we know about the Holy Spirit is recorded for us in the Holy Bible. And the Holy Spirit illuminates the words so that when we read them, it's not like we're reading a Tom Sawyer novel. It's not like we're reading uh, the newspaper. The Holy Spirit of God speaks personally and authoritatively to us as we read the written words of the Bible. The Holy Spirit never contradicts the Holy Bible. 
I am amazed at the number of people who are seeking a word from God who are very unfamiliar with the words in the word of God. And people sometimes, they, they think that they don't have to study the scripture, they don't have to dig into the words of the Bible because they just have this little personal thing going on with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to them this way. Um, people come up to me sometimes and they will tell me the Holy Spirit told them to do something that is actually forbidden in the Holy Bible. I have a standard response when people come to me and say, God told me to do something contradictory to the word of God. I look at them and it's like, God told me to tell you he didn't say that. <laughs> Don't tell me God told you to do something in violation. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. He's not gonna change his mind just to help you do something you wanna do, okay? So the Holy Spirit never contradicts the Holy Bible. That's why we dive into the Holy Bible and under, want to understand it's, it, God's will and his ways for us as recorded in scripture. The Holy Bible is not a substitute for the Holy Spirit. See, this is the danger for our church. We love the Bible so much that we made it our middle name, Harvest Bible Chapel. And we think that in reading the Bible and preaching from the Bible and listening to sermons from the Bible and listening to, to audio Bible and memorizing the Bible, that somehow we have all we need to live the Christian life. That is not true. There are people that have degrees in Bible who have no spiritual life at all. And so it's not just about filling our heads full of Bible. We need our hearts full of the Holy Spirit to activate the Holy Bible, the Word of God in our lives. Too often we try to remove the mystery from the Holy Spirit. Um, when I was growing up, the church that I went to, the preacher at our church, he preached from the King James Version of the Bible. Did anybody like me? Your, your preacher preached? Did anybody actually bring a King James this morning? If you brought a King James, lift it up. The people that have one, man, it went up fast and it's heavy. I can tell it. I, I see them back there. They're proud of that King James Bible. I love it. That's great. In the, in the King James Version of the Bible, the title for the Holy Spirit is what? The Holy Ghost. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds mysterious, right? And so now that we've gotten all sophisticated, the new modern translations, they say, well, that's too spooky. They'll think of horror movies. We'll, we'll call it the Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with either translation. But it would do us good to treat the Holy Spirit a little more mysteriously than we do. I guarantee you in the next seven or eight weeks, I am not gonna answer all your questions about the Holy Spirit. The reason is because I haven't found the answers to some of my questions about the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be something other than our finite minds can comprehend. God still does miracles. God still does the supernatural. And we don't need to confine the Holy Spirit to somehow a few things that we think are appropriate. The Holy Spirit has freedom to move and do whatever he wants to do. Wes mentioned earlier in the service that 
I was in uh, Hungary and Romania. They speak two different languages, Hungarian and Romanian. And I was there preaching and teaching 12 times over the course of about a week there, a few weeks ago. And it would have been very helpful if the Holy Spirit would have granted to me the gift of speaking in the language of the people that were there listening. Lord, if you, anytime you want to give me the gift of Hungarian, that would be very helpful at this point. And he didn't give it to me. He didn't give me the gift of tongues. He gave me the gift of an interpreter and the gift of Google Translate. And that's about as best as I could do at that point. But the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do, okay? He, he's not subject to us. We are subject to him. But what we believe about the Holy Spirit is defined by the Holy Bible. And we need to embrace the mystery of the Holy Spirit without relinquishing our grasp on the authority of the Holy Bible, okay? So with all of that said, I've asked you to open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter four. Now let me just give you a warning before we dive into this. The chapter that we're about to read is one of the strangest, most bizarre parts of the Bible. If you've never read the Bible because you thought it was just a bunch of symbols and weird signs and symbolic codes, I'm about to confirm all of your suspicions, okay? Because that's what we find in Zechariah chapter 4. Now let me, let me set up the background here so that you know uh, what we're diving into. What we're about to read was recorded about 500 years before Jesus Christ came as a baby boy in Bethlehem. And um, it came at a season during the, the Babylonian captivity of God's people. So God had chosen a people from all the nations of the earth. He chose the Hebrew people. He entered into a covenant relationship with them. The Hebrew people violated God's covenant, turned their back on God, and as a result, God sent judgment. They were carried away from their promised land. They were carried away into Babylon where they worked as slaves and exiles for about 70 years. But then miraculously, they were freed and they began to return to the promised land. By this time, they were greatly diminished in power. They were greatly diminished in number. They were discouraged and disappointed with how um, everything had gone. And as they were returning to their promised land, their number one job was to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed in their judgment. And, and it, it just seemed so slow and it was so hard and there were so few resources and it was moving so slow that the people were disappointed they were about to give up. And it was at that point that Zechariah got a visit from an angel. And we pick up the story in Zechariah chapter four, verse one. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me. Everybody underline the word woke me. Like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, 
What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? Not a helpful angel at this point. I mean, Zechariah's like, I want to understand this. But the angel's like, why don't you already know what these things are? He's like, no, Lord, I don't know. Verse 6, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I forgot to tell you, Zerubbabel is the project manager for the rebuilding of the temple. Very important key figure in uh, this part of the Bible. So the, the, the spirit of God wants to communicate a message to the project manager over the temple reconstruction project. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. There's three prayers that we're going to pray in response to what we're seeing in God's word, all related to the Holy Spirit. This is the first prayer. Awaken me to the reality of the Holy Spirit. Awaken me to the reality of the Holy Spirit. Back in verse one, we're told that Zechariah was awoken or awakened as a man is awakened out of his sleep. Now that's very significant. Zechariah was not asleep. It says he he woke up as a man who is asleep. That's very symbolic of the people that I face every Sunday morning in church. There are some people here that are awake physically, but spiritually, you are very sleepy. Now, there may be a few people here that are actually physically asleep. Would you check and see if your neighbor is not awake at this point? Just poke them and tell them to read verse 1 right there. You need to wake up. There's a message trying to be communicated to you here. But there are some others of you. Your eyes are wide open. And yet, you're very spiritually sleepy. You are not aware of the reality of the Holy Spirit of God. You're listening to this message as if it was a lecture in a philosophy class or a sports cast. Listen, the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate a message to us this morning from the Word of God. Understand the reality of the spiritual realm. First of all, we are spiritual beings. You are more than just matter. You are more than just chemical. You are a spiritual being. The scripture says that God breathed life into man and he became alive. And so there's a sense in which we are spiritual beings. That's the good news. The bad news is this. We're born into this world spiritually dead because of sin. We're broken. Our, our Wi-Fi signal is, is, is broken. We've lost connection with God. We are offline with God. We have no reception. And so God has to do something. He has to come to us and do something spiritually to repair what is broken in us. And that's what happens when you're born again. There's two types of people in this room. There are spiritual people and there are natural people. First Corinthians chapter two tells us about the natural people. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
Do you see the attributes of a natural man? Before you are born again spiritually, you think what is happening here is foolish. To think that there is a God out there somewhere and that he created this whole world and he designed you for a purpose and he wants relationship with you and that Jesus died on that cross as somehow a spiritual act to pay for spiritual sin and that one day you're going to live in heaven in a spiritual place free from sin. All of that sounds so ridiculous to a natural man because you cannot accept the things of the spirit of God. It's like when you're trying to feed your your, your kid green beans and he keeps spitting them out and you shove it back in and you scrape his mouth and you stick them back in and he sticks it back out. Am I the only one, your kids do this or am I do this too, right? That's a natural man when God is trying to feed him spiritually. He just keeps spitting it back out. They're folly to him. He cannot understand them and it says he has no spiritual discernment doesn't understand the will and the ways of God and how he can connect with him and how he can live for the glory of God. That's a natural man. Now, if that's you, you come to church, it never makes sense. You never hear God speak. It, it, it's not impactful to you. You open your Bible. It's dry. It's boring. It's dusty. That is an evidence that you are still a natural man and you need to be made alive spiritually. How does that happen? We are made spiritually alive by spiritual birth to be born again. One of the passages we'll look at in this series is John chapter 3. Jesus was speaking to a very religious man. He was a Bible fathead. He had the Bible crammed in every corner of his brain. And Jesus looked at him and said this, that which is spirit is spirit, that which is flesh is flesh. In other words, you're over here. You're in the flesh. The reason you can't understand these things of the spirit is because you haven't been made spiritually alive. And he looked at that man and said, you need to be born again. And when you're born again, God repairs the spiritual connection between you and him. We are spiritually alive because of spiritual birth. And now we're able to worship a spiritual God. One of the foundational verses for our church is John chapter four, verse 24. And Jesus was speaking to a woman and he said this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't worship God with your intellect. You don't worship God with your natural physical ability. You don't connect with God through any one of your five physical senses. You can't see God, you can't hear God audibly, you can't taste God, you can't touch God, and you can't smell God. Well, how can you know that there's a God? Because you have a sixth sense. If you are a spiritual man, your spirit bears witness with God's spirit and now you can worship him spiritually. It was great to, I like to look over my shoulder when I'm on the front row and see, you know, you worshiping. And I, I see people connecting with God in worship. That doesn't mean that you have a hand in the air. It doesn't mean that you're singing loudly. It just simply means that God is speaking to you and you're speaking to God. And there is an intimacy there that can only be known because you are in relationship with him. We have a spiritual God. And then finally, 
we need spiritual power. Anybody here need spiritual power? Can, can you just confirm that I need to keep going in this message? We have a need for this series. Everybody here have all the spiritual power. You've, you've had, you had an abundance of spiritual power this week. You're just sharing it with others. You know, just like, hey, if you don't have any spiritual power, you can come borrow some of mine. Anybody like that in here? Now, anybody use any more spiritual power to overcome temptation, to help you love some unlovable people in your life, to connect with God in prayer? All of those things are, they require spiritual power. So our prayer is, awaken me to the reality of the Holy Spirit. We need spiritual power to pray. We need spiritual power to overcome temptation. We need spiritual power to, to tell others about Jesus. We need spiritual power to obey God. We need spiritual power to love unlovable people. We need spiritual power. So we have this strange story here in Zechariah chapter 4. Did you notice all the symbolism in the story? I mean, we have this angel, he wakes up Zechariah, and then he, he shares this really strange vision. There's two olive trees, there's a big golden bowl, there's pipes connected from the olive tree to the bowl, and it's fueling this lampstand with 49 different sources of light. What is that all about? As a matter of fact, they took a picture of it when he saw the vision, and I have the picture for us right here. Um, two olive trees, and there's the pipes. Now, now, this is what you have to know. Okay, now this is very confusing unless you understand the economy in ancient Israel. So I went to Israel last year, and there's olive trees everywhere. And this is what we, we need to know about this vision. The fuel source was olive oil, which you get from olive trees. And so those olive trees produced olive oil, which was used to provide light and heat in the temple, in the place of worship. The most tedious job of the, the priest back in the day was, back, was, was supplying the oil in those bowls so the light never went out and the heat never went out in the temple. So here we have this story of the self-sustaining lampstands that are connected to the constant flow of the olive trees that provide oil for the lampstand. And it's that picture that is used before the angel says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. By the way, anybody here pregnant looking for a great baby name? Zerubbabel's great. Heather, have you picked a name yet? Is it a boy? Z Zerubbabel. You could use it for a girl. It doesn't matter. It's a great name. Wait, I've never had a baby dedication, Zerubbabel. We need to have a Zerubbabel in the church, okay? So Zerubbabel, remember, is, is about ready. His light is about to go out. The, the passion, the heat that he has for this project is about to die. And it's in that moment that God says, look, you do not have enough power. You do not have enough might to make this happen. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. And we know that throughout scripture, oil always represents a symbol, a picture of the Holy Spirit. 
And so you have this picture of, of these pipes, this, this connection between the, the source and the light. So here's, here's the question for, for you and I. Are you connected to the Holy Spirit in such a way that you are shining bright light in the darkness all around you and that there is heat, passion for the Lord even though there is, you are living in a, in a dark, cold world. If you, like Zerubbabel, are about to give up, you're discouraged, this is not going well, it doesn't seem like you have enough energy, enough power, I'm not smart enough, I, I don't have enough managerial skill. You need to hear this morning. You need to be connected to the reality of the Holy Spirit. It is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit, says the Lord. Here's the second prayer we can pray. Convince me of my inadequacy apart from the Holy Spirit. Convince me of my inadequacy apart from the Holy Spirit. You know, those of us especially that live in Western American suburban culture, it is so easy to substitute the power of the Holy Spirit with the power of other things. For most of us, we have a supply of money. And so we will tend to rely upon the power of money to do what we should only be relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do. Be honest. When you have a little extra money, are those the times that you tend to pray the most? Are those the times that you tend to lean into the Holy Spirit of God the most? Or is it when the money is gone? and you are powerless with money, that you have the greatest tendency to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. And what God is saying to us in this passage is, don't rely upon the power of money to do what only the Spirit of God can do. Don't rely on the power of manipulation you may be in a situation where you've got a relationship that needs to be mended or it's a difficult situation or maybe you're trying to advance in an organization. Don't rely upon the power of manipulation to do what only the power of the Spirit of God can do. Don't rely upon the power of methodology or management. There's a library full of management books that you can dive into to try to find out the secret of organizing people and pushing a project through and project management. If you're doing all of that as a substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, you're gonna be sadly disappointed with what the power of management can do. And then the power of mastery. What I mean by that is this. Some of you have so much experience doing what you do, you don't even have to think anymore. And the truth of the matter is, you don't even have to pray anymore. You've mastered it. And maybe that's your job, maybe that's your ministry, and you are not connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what God says to you this morning. It is not by your power. It is not by your might that you are going to accomplish everything God wants you to do. 
You've got to be connected to the power of his spirit. Be careful, hear this warning. The more natural ability you have, the less likely you will be to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you're so good looking, you're so intelligent, you're so educated, you have so much experience, you have so much people skills, or you have so much money. It is very hard for you to believe that statement because you seem pretty adequate to do what's on your plate. And it's at that point you need to hear the warning. Don't live independently from the Spirit of God. You have to rely upon the Spirit of God. There's a church in the New Testament in the city of Galatia. Paul writes a letter. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, he reminds them of when they were small. Paul had planted this church and in the early days, they were very dependent upon the Spirit. It reminded me of 10 years ago when we planted our church and we had no building, no budget, no mica, no nice screen, no technology. We didn't have a pulpit. And I just, just had a Bible and the Spirit of God. And that seemed to be enough. And yet here we are 10 years later and we've got a nice building and we've got a nice mica and we've got a nice screen and we've got all this technology and we're trying to expand the discipleship factory here and the Made for More campaign is like, we, we, we have more than we ever have. We have more power. We have more might than we've ever had. Hear me. It is not by power, it is not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If we start relying upon our power and our might, the Holy Spirit will say, let's see how, how that goes without me. And I would say to you, whatever you're trying to build, you need to hear what the Spirit said to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was trying to build a temple. Some of you are trying to build a ministry. Some of you are trying to build a marriage. And to the husband and the wife that are long past the honeymoon stage, and now you're into the forgive and forbear stage, it is not by might, it is not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord, that your marriage will succeed. Some of you are trying to build an organization or you're trying to build a business or a team. Don't build that team without the power of the Holy Spirit, you are completely inadequate to do what the Lord wants you to do in that situation. And for our church, the church that forsakes prayer is the church that has said, we can do this without the Spirit of God. We don't wanna be that church. Convince me of my inadequacy apart from the Holy Spirit. Here's the third prayer. Help me to live dependently on the Holy Spirit. Help me to live dependently on the Holy Spirit. The rest of the chapter here begins in verse 7. It's, it's a wild ride. Follow along with me beginning in verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. What is he saying there? He begins to speak to the mountain after he's been told 
that the spirit of the Lord is sufficient to build the temple. And so he begins to taunt the mountain. Who are you, O mountain? In other words, who do you think you are standing in the way of the spirit of God? You're about to become a plane. You're about to be flattened by the spirit of God. Do you understand the, the irony there? Who are you, O mountain? Here's the better question. Who are you, O spirit of God? If you know the answer to that question, it doesn't matter who the mountain is. Because the spirit of God is more powerful than any mountain that you are facing. Can I ask you this question? What mountain are you facing? Some of you are facing a mountain of unbelief. You're trying to believe. You're trying to live by the standards of God's word, but it just seems so ancient and nobody else is doing it. And I mean, do I really have to conform my life to the, God's standard of purity and sexuality and honesty and integrity? And I mean, I mean, come on, that was a long time ago. That mountain of unbelief is flattened if you can answer the question, who are you, O Spirit of God? Once you know the power of the Spirit, you can wrap your life around that power. You're plugged into the power source and there is not a mountain you're facing that will keep you from what God wants you to do. Some of you are facing a mountain of temptation, temptation to quit, a mountain of exhaustion. It's just not worth it anymore. Some of you are facing a mountain of disappointment like they were. Things just seem to be moving so slow and your dreams aren't being realized and you're so under-resourced. That is exactly the context that this passage was spoken into. It goes on in verse eight, it says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. In other words, God's going to get done in his power what you can't do in yours. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Verse 10, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. I find it interesting that most people think they can handle the small things on their own. They just need the Holy Spirit for the big things. I, I need, I need Lord, I'm, okay, now I have, I have a terminal disease. Now I need, I need you to work. I, I need a miracle. God, we are out of cash. We need you to supply miraculously in the big things. Listen, don't despise the day of small things. You diminish the ministry of the Holy Spirit if you don't see him working in the small things. He is just as much at work providing a job for you, providing a church for you, protecting you from disease as he is in healing you from disease. He is just as much at work when you open your Bible and you read a verse and he convicts you of a sin. That sounds like a small thing. That is a Holy Spirit thing. And that is just as much of the grace of God as it is to heal you of a terminal illness. Don't despise the small things that God is doing. 
Others of you, are, you're, just, you're just growing in your faith, just inch by inch. It may not be as fast as, as you want, but somebody's pouring into you, somebody's discipling you, you have a small group, you have a church, and inch by inch you're growing. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm dependent on him for all of it. And notice the response that he says up in verse 7. At the end it says, amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Do you understand that any help you receive from God is undeserved? It is all of grace. And so, so there's an eruption of praise and worship because God showers grace to me through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help me do what I cannot get done in my own power and in my own might. Grace, grace. Verse 11. And then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Fair question. Is that a fair question? Angel gives you this vision and you see olive trees and you ask the angel, I, I would like to know what the olive trees represent. I mean, I get, I get the oil, that's the Holy Spirit, and I, I get the light in a dark world, but what are these trees? He asked the question. He asked it a second time in verse 12 because he didn't get an answer the first time. And a second time I answered and said, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? Not a helpful angel. He says, no, my Lord. So then he gives him the answer in verse 14. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Well, that clears it up, doesn't it? I mean, of course we know who that is. Actually, commentators really don't know. There's kind of a debate going on. Some commentators say that the two anointed ones were Zechariah, the prophet who wrote this book, and Haggai, the prophet that wrote the book before this one, addressing the same situation. Other commentators say one of the anointed ones was Zerubbabel, the project manager, who was actually in the line of King David. So he was in the line of Jesus. And he held that anointed kingly role. And then the other one would be the priest Joshua that was ministering in the temple at the time. I don't really know. Here's what I do know. Zechariah, Haggai, Zerubbabel, and Joshua were all powerless men to get done what needed to get done until the Spirit of God, like those olive trees, flowed through them and out of them. In the Old Testament, those that were set apart for special service, those that were considered holy, were anointed, these two anointed ones. They would take some oil and put it on the forehead there, indicating they were special. And that was the indication that the Spirit of God was on them. But listen, here's what we're gonna learn in this series. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not just anointed with the Holy Spirit, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Just like those olive trees, you have a constant source of light and heat, fuel 
for worship, fuel for mission, fuel for ministry, fuel for marriage. Everything you need has already been supplied through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The question is, are you living dependently upon him? Or are you depending upon your own might and your own power? If you are, it's no wonder you're exhausted. You need some spiritual power? You wanna connect with God in a way that he hears you and answers prayer? You wanna talk to people boldly about your faith and see them respond because the Holy Spirit is flowing through you. If you want that, we must not diminish the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me right now and bow your heads? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before we leave, would you be willing to pray those three simple prayers? The first, Lord, would you awaken me to the reality of the Holy Spirit, just in your own heart to his. Just open up your heart and say, Lord, I've, I've read your word, I've come to church. I try to serve, but God, I, I need you to wake me up that there is something more than just going through the motions, something more than just going through the religious facade Awaken me to the reality of your spirit. Just pray that. And then pray this. Lord, would you convince me of my inadequacy apart from the Holy Spirit? Maybe you should tell him, it's like, you have given me natural ability. And I, I've had the ability to make good grades and make money and build organizations, and manipulate people, but Lord, I am completely inadequate for anything spiritual or eternal without you. Convince me of my inadequacy apart from the Holy Spirit. And then finally, would you ask him for help? Help me live dependently on the Holy Spirit. Fill me, flood me, fuel me with the power to be light and heat in a cold, dark world. Lord, I thank you for so many people that have a heart to glorify you, to glorify Jesus, to live as light and heat in this world. And, and I pray, God, that through, uh, throughout today, through this series, we would we would sense the reality of your spirit flowing through us as we empty ourselves of, of our own power, our own might, and we lean into the ministry that you wanna give us through the Holy Spirit. God, some people here are facing mountains, and I pray that we would see those mountains fall as they begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, forgive us for living independently, trusting our own intellect or ingenuity or creativity. Lord, we lay all of that at your feet. Our money, our manipulation, our mastery, our management, all those things, God, you can use them, but God, we want you to fuel them with your spirit. Thank you for the grace 
that is so undeserved that you give us help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this familiar chorus together.